morning's reading is uh, taken from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Uh, in your pew Bibles, it's on page 1066, and in the large print Bibles on 1701. It's headed, Jesus Talks with a Samaritan Woman. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Annika, very much for your, for your prayers. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you especially for this amazing gospel, and we thank you for these encounters with Jesus that are teased apart uh, so revealingly. We pray this morning that we ourselves might understand more deeply the nature of your invitation and your call on our lives and help us to draw others to the light that we have seen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Invitations. That's the aspect of these stories and these encounters that I want to talk about this morning. Last week, a number of us had, well, we all had an invitation to go to the installation of Adil Shukrala uh, as the new vicar of Old Windsor. It was a great occasion and a number of us were there. Um, the bells were ringing in celebration as we arrived, a great peal of celebration and the uh, sort of bell chamber was right on the, on the ground floor. So I looked in to see the bell ringers and blow me down, Gerald Norris was there, <laughs> pulling away on the, on the ropes. I mean, he's not a heavy man, you know, and I was just wondering whether he'd sort of be, end up going like, uh, what's that meerkat character? Um, anyway, uh, but Gerald is uh, deeply experienced at bell ringing and uh, he was well in command of the situation. It was a lovely occasion and I just want to use that as an excuse to say Ardell and Claire have inherited a vicarage and an enormous lawn um, and they need a seriously serious lawnmower. Um, <laughs> And if anyone has an idea of a, a good, reliable, second-hand lawnmower, um, that would be really great, because otherwise it will set them back several hundred pounds and it would be nice to avoid that. But, so that's just a, a little thing, by the way. Invitations. I've got one for this afternoon. Quite a lot of them these days come on uh, emails and are rather scruffy bits of paper. And this invites me to a service at Canterbury Cathedral this afternoon. That's great. So I'm just doing a little bit of self-promotion here and waving it at you. <laughs> Some of them come on thick card. Have you ever had that kind? Uh, sort of embossed. And when you run your fingers over it, it sort of stands up a little bit. And um, we, we like to stand those somewhere prominently, don't we? On the mantelpiece or somewhere else. I mean, just to remind us so that we don't forget to go to Buckingham Palace. Um, but... Actually, it's rather nice. Oh, you're going to... Okay. Oh, how nice. How nice we. Um, invitations we value. Invitations are, are precious. Invitations on the whole, we, we really try to, um, to respond to. John's Gospel is really by way of being one intense and lengthy invitation. And... Uh, John, unusually amongst the Gospel writers, from not often, but a few times, makes it clear that he's actually addressing us. He's actually speaking to the reader. Um, I'm not sure that the other Gospel writers do that at all. But just a few times, John says, this is for you. This is for you. And he does that at the end of his Gospel, uh, not far from the end. And he writes these words, and it's very clear that he has all the readers of his gospel in mind. These things are written down so you will believe. 
so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, and in the act of believing have real and eternal life in the way that he personally revealed it. That's the invitation. That's what this whole book is about. If we go back to the beginning uh, of the gospel, we begin to see how John takes us into this invitation and tries to persuade us to, to take it up. And you know that section, many of you, you know it very well. And he takes us right back to the beginning and he says, right at the beginning of everything, right at the source of creation, right before we can even imagine things, there was a message in the heart of God. There was an invitation in the heart of God. And that invitation shaped the whole way that creation was put in place and ordered. That message was in my heart, he says. That controlled how everything was made. And that message was with me from the very beginning. And that message helped me design the whole world. And in fact, it helped me design you the human beings whom I made to inhabit this world. That message was with me from the very beginning. In fact, that message is so important and so full of light and life that all human beings have been touched by it. They, they all have uh, a reflection of it in their being. That message, he says, I decided to send into the world. And that, that message, that word, that invitation came and dwelt amongst you, came and lived your life amongst you here. He came from my very being, my very heart. He is my word. And he dwelt amongst you. And he is the one, not so much through his words, but through who he was in his whole being, was the message, was the invitation, certainly through his words, but through his whole being. He was the invitation, the message that I sent into the world. But a lot of people didn't even recognize what was going on. And a lot of other people, even when they got glimpses into, into this message and this invitation, decided to have nothing to do with it. In fact, those who should have really got the message, those who should really have had insight into what was happening, actually were the ones who turned their back on it. But, but there were always those who received the message, received the invitation, and received that personal word that I sent. And I gave them the right. I gave them the very power to become children of God, to become sons and daughters of the living God, to enter into my, my life. And this isn't something that came to them because they were the sons and daughters of great people, didn't come to them because of their family or their family story. It didn't come to them because of the 
ordinary desire between men and women. It came to them as a gift from God. And they have received what the invitation promises. And the invitation promises that you will become a member of God's family. Now that's my sort of retelling of the first verses of John's Gospel. But then we might say to John, well, what does this actually look like? What does this actually look like in, in real human lives? How might we recognize it? How can we see what this invitation means for us? And so, a little bit later, John says, well, let me give you two biographies. Let me give you two, not biographies, but two snapshots of, of people who received this invitation. One's got a name and one hasn't got a name. They're at the poles, they're at the extremes of the people who hear the invitation. So I want you to know that you may not be like one and you may not like, be like the other, but you'll certainly be somewhere in the middle. It's for you. The invitation is for you. So let's look at these two, two people and I want you to hear the invitation that flows through my book and through their story. One of them is called Nicodemus. The other is not important enough for the name to have survived. I don't even know her name. So there's Nicodemus. He's a man. He's Jewish. And he's really rather distinguished. He's a respectable man. He's a good man. He's a religious man. He's a man with understanding. He's a man with stature in his society. He's a man who's successful and has established himself in life, doubtless. A man of, with a good family behind him and a good family to give to future generations. And on the other side, at the other end of the, the spectrum, there's the woman without a name. And women in that time and in so many contexts today are, despite being the other half that holds up the sky, in a, is it an African proverb that women hold up half the sky? Despite that fact, they are in fact excluded from many opportunities and positions of responsibility and power. That was true then. It's still true in many contexts today. It's even true in the church in many, in some circumstances. So she's, she tells us that this invitation is for men and for women in the realities of their social situations, however that might be. He's respectable. She's got a whole lot of problems in her life. Her life is full of chaos. She's had five husbands and she's in another relationship now and who knows what that's about. Her life is full of chaos. So as John's saying, this invitation, this invitation that has this wonderful expression in a whole human life that God has sent to be amongst us comes to people from there to there and all the way in between. It's for everyone. Whether your life is filled with chaos and you don't quite know how to string the next day together or whether actually you've got life sorted and you know just what you're doing with your life. 
He came at night. Now we move to the things where they've got similarities, actually. There's plenty of dis difference between these two people, but there's also plenty of similarity. He came at night and she came at noon. They chose the time when they reckoned they'd be undisturbed by other people. They came when they knew they could be alone. He came guessing that Jesus at night would not have other guests and he could come quietly and meet him. She came at noon because in the heat of the day nobody came to the well to draw water and she would not be harassed, abused, whatever. He came seeking. She did not come seeking. It makes no difference. That's an important thing, isn't it? On this spectrum of people who are receiving the invitation from God, it doesn't actually in the end matter whether you are seeking, like Nicodemus, or not seeking, like the woman, because in the end it's the seeking of Jesus that matters. He had to go through Samaria, we read. We don't know quite what that means. He had to go through Samaria. It surely means that he knew he had an appointment. He had someone he needed to meet. They have this in common as well, that despite his education and her chaotic life, they both were blind to how the spiritual life worked. And as Jesus began to talk about it, they, they couldn't actually just get how this, how this worked, what it meant in terms of the human spirit and human life. He couldn't get hold of the whole idea of being born again. That was a confusing idea for him. She couldn't get hold of the idea of living water and what that meant. So they had that in common as well, that they, they were blind to what, how the spiritual life worked and how we might talk about it. They were both equally distant from Jesus and equally distant from really receiving the invitation. Yet they both move. They both move. It's actually interesting that we're not actually given a decisive indication that either of them step across and say, that invitation is for me. Both stories actually stop short of that. But of the two, we might suppose the woman actually is the more responsive. She, she goes and finds her friends and says, can this be the Messiah? Can this be the Christ? And, and their encounter leads to them to the conclusion that he is indeed the, the saviour of the world. So there's something very positive going, going on there with the woman. With Nicodemus, we're less sure. Though, as Mike pointed out to us last week, later in the story of Jesus, he reappears. So that's interesting, actually, that this isn't about uh, um, the human quality of being able to accept an invitation uh, gratefully. It's actually about the graciousness of the invitation. And that is the message that John wants to lay before us, the graciousness of this invitation. New birth, living water, it's for you. These things are written so that you may believe and that you may have life through believing in his name. But John, let's go a bit, just a little bit further. What does becoming 
a child of God look like? What's the experience? What, what, actually, what actually, when we reach out and we take that invitation, what actually comes with it? Well, let's look at what Jesus says in his encounter with the woman. This is the one section from this passage I want to look at. The story is long, the story is rich, there are many other things we could explore. I want to look just at this one passage, because I think it is the invitation. Just as the invitation to uh, Nicodemus was to receive new birth, so this is the invitation to the woman. They're the same thing, actually, but just cast slightly differently and perhaps slightly more accessible to the, to the people. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Everyone who drinks this well water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. The water I will give him will be like an artesian spring within gushing fountains of endless life. There's the invitation to the woman. There it is. This is the message that was in the heart of God from the very beginning. This was the word that was in his heart, the word that was with him, the word that shaped creation, the word that came into the world. Here it is. It's on offer now. If you knew the gift of God, it's a free gift. I love the way in the church, in the English language at least, we put those two words together, a free gift. If it's a gift, it's free. If it's free, it's a gift. We don't actually need both words. It's as if in our language in the church, we, we just want to overload it because it's a free gift. Don't be in under, under any doubts about this. This gift is free. It's a free gift. We really need to hear that. It is not given in response to earnestness. It is not given in response to holiness. It is not given in response to dedication. It is given in response to asking. It is given in response to asking. At first we could think that the gift is Jesus himself. If you knew the free gift of God, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who is speaking to you, if we just read that, we could think the free gift is Jesus himself. And that's entirely true. But actually here, Jesus, if we understand how he uses the idea of water throughout John's gospel, he is actually talking about the gift of new life through the Spirit. It's a free gift. Comes to those who ask. And if we know the one who is making the offer, we know we can ask confidently. It's a free gift. There's no competitiveness for it. It's no kind of prize. It become, it's the gift of God and it comes from his heart from the very beginning. And Jesus is the one who gives it living water, the living water of God's spirit within our lives for free.
for the asking. We could show, we won't take time to do it now, but we could show how the same message, same invitation is being extended to Nicodemus a chapter earlier here. It's living water for the woman. Now just notice how this works. This water is the gift of Jesus. The gift of the Spirit is the gift of Jesus, freely given to all those who believe in his Son and who ask. And it is really satisfying. Jesus says, the person who drinks this water will never thirst again. You will never thirst again. Actually, something extraordinary will happen. He says, by receiving this water into your life, it becomes actually something rooted in your life, something grounded in your life. It's like, uh, the message uses the phrase, like an artesian well. It's something deep in your life which just gushes up for others to drink from. Here's the lovely thing about this, that yes, the water that Jesus gives, the life he gives, the spirit he gives to those who believe in his name and ask, satisfies. We never are thirsty again, but it does something remarkable within us. It becomes something that wells up and flows out to others. And this water, this spirit then is in us like a great fountain welling up. I think that's what John's trying to say. I think that's what the gospel is trying to say. And it's one of a number of big steps through John's gospel which lead us to that final appeal invitation. These things are written down so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in the act of believing, have real and eternal life in the way that he personally revealed it.